Coming up on today's BMW Motorrad Ride and Talk podcast, an in-depth discussion with BMW archivist Fred Jacobs about the history of BMW Motorrad. Take a listen. Over the years, I've had the privilege of riding BMW motorcycles all over the world. And the one thing I've come away with is that the only thing more extraordinary than the ride are the people you meet along the way. These are their stories. My name is Sean Thomas, and this is BMW Motorrad's Ride and Talk. Something that you find out in your work and my, my job, every year or every moment, you are learning a little bit more. Those of us that follow the history of BMW know that Munich, Germany is where it all started. More than 100 years ago, a small group of designers and engineers were producing airplane and vehicle engines, and in 1923, developed and sold their first complete production motorcycle. 100 years later, that very first building inhabited by BMW still stands and now features a museum dedicated to vehicles and artifacts that highlight BMW's diverse history. Today, we sit down with Fred Jacobs, head archivist for the BMW Group. Together, we discuss some of the remarkable exhibits on display at the museum and come to understand Fred's perspective on the rich history of BMW Motorrad. So, Fred, you have so many vehicles here. And, and it's my understanding that you are a fan of motorcycles, first and foremost. Yeah, it's... Um... I'm a first time I'm a BMW fan. Yeah. <laughs> Every vehicle, uh, also private, is, is a BMW sure. uh, car, car of my wife, car of the daughter, motorcycle of the daughter, my motorcycle, oh. of course, and yeah. uh, also uh, uh, two historic uh, bicycles. <laughs> oh, no kidding. And you have a F650 ST, is that correct? I had one. No, yeah. I haven't. Um, this is now uh, on the way to, to a museum because there's a collector somewhere in the U.S. I told him, you don't have this bike. You need to have this bike. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a rare one, I think. The 650 ST, that was... The ST isn't so rare. Everybody thinks um, um, the F650 is, is it a real BMW, but the F650 is the most built bike in the 20th century. Is it really? Yeah, it's, an, it's not the GS. The GS started with this uh, high production number sure. in 2001 or so on. And it was, it's my Louise's and both my first BMWs were seen. Yeah, it's a beginner's bike. I bought it um, with 5,000 kilometers. It, it was like new. I think wow. it's a beginner's bike. Yeah. But you can do everything with, with this bike. It was especially in a city like, like Munich. Yeah. I think that reason that you probably don't have a 650 ST in your museum is people are still busy out riding it, yeah? <laughs> no, we have one in the museum. Oh, you do? Yeah, yes, of course. I put it in and I said it's the most built bike. and this, Because this bike is something special and it explains a lot about BMW. People ask what's typical for BMW and the first answer is boxer engine, shaft drive. Sure. And, and then you look at this bike. So it's a single cylinder and this is... Uh, has no shaft drive, but it sold very well because this is a bike for, um, that gives you the pleasure of riding. So yeah. for me, it, it, it was perfect riding around uh, Munich. I think for me, it was the bike that, that I bought when I said I, I would love to own a BMW. I'm not sure that I can afford a BMW, but I'm going to try this one I can afford. I'm going to try this and see if this type of motorcycle is for me. Yeah. And also for me, it uh, the bike is, at my opinion... Um, also important, it brought new customers to BMW, mm. and also it changed the mind in motorcycle development for for BMW. 
BMW. In early years, we, we tried to build a beginner's bike mm. and we make it like a regular bike, boxer engine, chef drive and so on. Sure. For example, there are 45 in the 70s. Mm. This bike was for production more expensive than the 1000cc. <laughs> so, and then we said, okay, we, we can't build a beginner's bike. And then someone said, okay, we built a beginner's bike and it worked. You know, when you come to this museum, you're, of course, going to see a lot of history of BMW, but the museum itself is historical. Yeah. So this building and its location, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, we have we have two buildings. We have a public museum. This is now also a landmark uh, and was built in 1918. And this is the oldest um, plant. So I'm happy to work here. Mm. So when I go uh, out and I said, oh, Around 100 years ago, Mr. Max Fritz, who developed the first motorcycle, perhaps he took also his coffee here or <laughs> whatever. Um, so it gives you every day an, an inspiration. And so we are glad that we could bought this part of the, the first factory back a few years uh, before our 100th um, anniversary. One of the most striking displays that you have is a motorcycle here um, that is not a BMW. I think it's a Victoria and it has a BMW motor in it. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it applies to the history of this place? Yeah, um, BMW, you know, Bayerische Motorenwerke, Bavarian Motorworks, Engine Works. And we start with, um, with uh, big engines. Of course, we have big, huge uh, six-cylinder aircraft engines. Then we built four-cylinder engines for boats, for trucks and mm. farming machines and so on. And then there comes in the idea, uh, let us build a, a motorcycle engine. Mm. And we built a motorcycle engine and this was a little success. So we mm. got thousands that we built and um, we delivered it to other manufacturers. So yeah. we have hundreds of motorcycle manufacturers at the beginning of the 20s here in Germany. Yeah. The center was in, in Berlin, the other around Nuremberg. And we support them with engines because mm. most of these companies came from bicycle business. Mm -hmm. And they could build frames and wheels and, and whatever, but they couldn't build engines. Mm. And the most important customer was um, Victoria in Nuremberg, one of the largest uh, bicycle producers in the world. And also the first motorcycle was a success. And how should I say, um, it's only 180 kilometers away from Munich, Nuremberg. But in Bavaria, there is a kind of a conflict between this. You know, it's like football yeah. um, or soccer, football or American soccer. If you are closer, so you more you hate the other team. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also here that you uh, some of the things are friendly, but they, yeah. uh, the one is Franconia and, they, and Munich is Bavaria. Mm. Today, everything is Bavaria. Yeah. Um, and they said, oh, we don't want to give these Bavarian guys the money for their engines. We built our in, own engines. Mm. And and that was the reason that BMW said, okay, the most important customer is gone. Um, he wants to build his own engine. Let us build our own motorcycle. Mm. And that happens um, in the winter 1922-1923 when um, Max Fritz, the head of development, he was responsible for the successful aircraft engines also, he designed in a few weeks the whole bike. Yeah. And this is the what we now know is the R32. Yeah. And the R32, can you help people understand what that symbolizes, the R and the 32 of the name? We have um, also 
aircraft engines, and we have a lot of developments. Mm-hmm. And they, they put an, um, a letter first. Mm-hmm. For example, M is for motor, for mm-hmm. engine. G is for Getriebe gearbox, mm-hmm. gearbox. And then we have R for frame, mm-hmm. and German Rahmen. And we had this, so for example, on the R32, we have R32 for the frame, M33 for the engine, and G34 for the gearbox. Mm. But we didn't use this when we sold the bike. Mm. When we sold the bike, it was the BMW touring bike. (laughs) (laughs) And the next one was the BMW sports bike. And the next one was the BMW single cylinder bike. But then on the second generation, Mm -hmm. we looked, oh, what can we use? And in Germany also, there have been some other manufacturers. They had an R in their typing or in KR, like Victoria. This was KR1. That means Kraftrad 1. Rad means wheel, but means in in former times the whole vehicle. Mm. Then we said, okay, R can also stand for Rad, uh, but it was a development number and they changed the internal system sometimes. Therefore, there is no logic behind. Mm. I tried to find it out. 30 years, and sometimes you have 15 years, you find a a system behind, and you can't find a system behind. I think we started in the the 69 with the slash 5, with R50 slash 5, and this has 500 cc, R75 slash 750. Mm-hmm. Later, then with the four Wolf bikes, we had the, mm-hmm. the whole capacity of the bike, so that means R1100 RS. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's the same in the car. Mm. So um, I think time is changing, and you, you are using um, other technical details for separate. S- similar models than in early times it was everything was made about capacity when you look at the r32 compared to the motorcycles of the day right away you see these innovations a drive shaft versus a belt drive for example and an electric headlight versus a gas powered headlight um, and even the engine position which you know we think of the boxer twin as always being an opposing twin where both cylinders are facing the air but in the when it was originally designed uh, manufacturers were putting the the motor in such a way that that one cylinder was forward and one was back kind of like a v twin so there's a lot of different ways that we saw BMW right off the bat start coming up with new ideas to recreate a motorcycle that went outside of what we were normally seeing. I think um, we never have been the first boxer engine in a motorcycle. We haven't made this first, first, first. So there was also shaft drive from 1904 with a Belgian FN bike, mm-hmm. for example. And we have the boxer also in uh, in this position, also in a British bike, ABC. Before I think the the point was the the combination to to bring it together and the whole concept. When I look to the to the R thirty two, it's nothing that I said. Oh, this is a world premiere and we have a world patent. So, but for me, if you look on the shape, you see it's it's like a kind of triangle form. They start with a engine and um, British <laughs> American name is for the boxer engine is flat and then this engine is really flat so you don't have to to start with a bicycle design and put an engine on mm. so it was really they built a motorcycle around the engine and they tried to make the 
the best quality. I think this is rooted in the history of aircraft engines. Mm. You need to have quality. If the engine on a motorcycle stops, okay. If an engine on an airplane stops, you have really problems. Mm -hmm. So I think this was in mind of all to do the best. So to have to look to the best quality, to don't look to other bikes, how they do it. Mm. And there are some, some details that um, I said, oh, I had never seen it before. For example, if you look on the R32, we have this black bike and with the white stripes. Mm -hmm. So it was normal at this time that motorcycle manufacturers have their own color and they offer the bikes only in one color. Yeah. So it could be a, a light green, a light blue, mm -hmm. or a red, or whatever. In BMW's house color was black with nice white stripes. Mm -hmm. But we don't have our name on the fuel tank. Mm -hmm. We have only the badge. Mm -hmm. When I looked at this time, every it means Harley Davidson, Triumph, Wander, and, and, and Germany, NSU, everybody, every company used the full name. Sure. And we are proud and said, this is the BMW badge. You know it or you don't know it, but we don't ride it on the on the bike. So that's something that you find out and you work on my my job. Mm. So that means every year or every moment you are learning a little bit more. So the next thing that we see in the museum, we go straight from understanding the very first BMW. And the very next thing we see is an exhibit on making motorcycles go fast. And it's fascinating to me that this seems to have always been part of the lifeblood of BMW and motorcycling in general. How fast can we make it go? I think, yeah, this is um, in the blood was the competition with the best and mm -hmm. also the best in the world. I think in the early years, we have two reasons to do that. The one thing is, I think, yeah, to compare with the other bikes, mm -hmm. the other manufacturers. Today in the magazines, you have... Uh, the eight top super bikes, yeah. the six best off-road bikes, and so on. But at this time, if you look in the magazines, there was a description of the bikes, but nothing um, yeah. to compare it. If you look in the newspaper, today, um, for example, here in Munich, a, a very big daily newspaper, on every weekend they have a part for vehicles and mm. traffic. Mm. At this time, they didn't have. Mm. But if there was a race, they wrote on it. So... It was very important for public relation. Mm. And of course, you can, on your advertising, if you look in the, in the 20s and 30s, um, also British bikes and so on. Last year, uh, 145 wins. And, and then, of course, in the, at the end of the 20s, we have the fastest bike in the world. Yeah. So nobody knows is a, the race um, in Italy more difficult than the race in France, but the fastest motorcycle in the world, you have it all in the world. And... With the beginning of this racing activities and also international activities, then started also the export in several countries. For example, mm. the Six Days event in 1926 with the R37. There are a lot of drawings and mm. sketches from, from the journalists about the perfect BMW, the German motorcycle. Then you look the next year. Mm -hmm. We sold bikes to England, we sold bikes to America, to South America, uh, in whole Europe. So people yeah. read it and the bike was very expensive. But I said, okay, this seems that this is a very good bike because a newbie started, not, not a perfect racer, and he yeah. won a gold model there. Mm -hmm. The other point is, of course, uh, for technical innovations. Mm. You test, the, the racetrack was the test trick, mm. the test bench for 
everything like the, the rear suspension or the hydraulic telescopic fork yeah. and, and everything. It's very interesting in, in motorcycles and performance because the first idea it seems like for going fast was just get as much power to the rear tire as possible. And you look at the bikes that existed then that were breaking records and they look dangerous. You know, you pointed out this bike does not have brakes, for example. It doesn't need brakes. This bike is just there to go fast. And, you know, we know today the aerodynamics, of course, and suspension and the, the type of tires that you use and the electronics, that's all a huge factor. But back then we had none of this. It was just the motor and the rider tucked down and go fast. That was a very pioneering time, I think. Yeah, and it was also pioneering with aerodynamics. Of course, they learned. If I go close to the handlebar, I'm a little bit faster and so on. Yeah. And they found out that this it was trial and error because aerodynamic was, uh, they learned at this moment, it's easier to go faster with aerodynamic innovations. Mm. Also the details, we talk about brakes. Okay, they have no brakes, but what, what's about the tires? The tires yeah. haven't been made for such a speed, for such an acceleration. Mm. As we dive so deep into the history of Motorrad, we, of course, have to remember that BMW was making cars at the same time. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's interesting to me how today we see a lot of technology that is maybe born on the car side that finds its way into the motorcycle side and maybe vice versa. Was that the case historically? Did we see development of cars having an influence on the motorcycles and vice versa in any way? Oh, I'm not sure, of course, but, but if you look on an anti-brake an anti blocking system uh, on a car and on a motorcycle, they are different. Yeah. And, but we have all the facilities mm. and we, of course we have uh, this knowledge from there. We, we didn't start at, z at point zero. So yeah. we can use it, but for example, the, the size and the weight is a big problem. And then, of course, if you have a, a two-wheeler and a four-wheeler, um, mm -hmm. when the system came for, on the car business, everybody wants to have it. Yeah. And we have it on, on a motorcycle. Nobody wants to have it because that I can break better than this. I want to. Uh, and then they learned, for example, that it helps. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about my, my motorcycle. I have the F1800R. Mm -hmm. And it was the first bike with such a system that I owned. And I had my first trip with my daughter. She has the same bike. Then I had an, um, I need to have a, a brake behind a corner. Nobody thought there, there, there mm -hmm. is a traffic jam. And it's so, so easy. Um, yeah. And of course, we learned from car, uh, the catalytic converter. Mm -hmm. For example, we have this technology and it's, but it's always the problem if people want to buy it, mm -hmm. but especially on the ABS and on the catalytic converter, we have been the first on a serial bike. So we also have the customers that they want to have this technology. Yeah. There was a point in historically, when we look at the line of motorcycles that you have in your museum, where things start getting colorful. We start seeing motorcycles with lots of different colors. And this just was not the way of it for Motorrad for so long. What changed and how did that come to be? Yeah, as a, we go back in, in, we look back in our history, it was absolutely clear. It was mm. kind of black with white stripes. That was sort of a signature for BMW, yeah? Yeah. If you saw a black bike with white pinstripes, then you were looking yeah. at a BMW most times, yeah? Of course, the, the black color, other manufacturers had other colors uh, but always own one color during that time mm. it's not like cars in the 30s you have red green blue yeah. black and so white and so on 
But the motorcycle, also the British bikes, the American bikes, bike mm. one color. Yeah. But then at the end of the 50s, it started that the BMW bikes at this time looked a little bit old-fashioned. And also in the American market in the 60s, we decided to have um, red, gray, green, blue. Because before we had only black bikes and from 61, our brand shaper, the 69 S was like a negative. So everything that on the other bikes have been black was their white. Yeah. <laughs> and everything that was white is their black. There's, a, there's a, a rumor out there that uh, somebody just went over to the car side and borrowed some paint and brought it over and said, okay, you want bikes that are not just black? Here you go. We've got a, a red one, for example, which was the same shade of red that you use on the cars, yeah? Yeah, we have absolutely the, the same color. I think they they didn't want to, to mix it. So because at this time, the, it was only a few hundred. Mm. At this time, the car business was huge. Mm. So we had to remember that in the 60s, we sold less than uh, 10,000 bikes a year. So mm. it was not uh, such a big market. Yeah. And um, it was easier. And it was common also over the, the other companies it started everything started in the in the middle of the 60s that there was a, a change in the image of the motorcycle mm. before it was more or less not a bmw and not some some other as a cheap form of car mm. if you want to, to want to have mobility mm. you start with a bicycle then a motorcycle and then car mm. But at the, in the 60s, there was a change. I'm old enough. <laughs> um, for example, what happens with Easy Rider? Yeah. So there was an, oh, it's not a cheap, it's something special. A symbol for freedom, for yeah. sportiness, for, for speed, whatever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that everything happened that started in the 70s. That is, mm. you have this image change away from a cheap kind of transport to freedom, hobby, and so on. And in the 50s and 60s, the decision was motorcycle or car, and from the 70s on, car and motorcycle. Hmm. So you have it, as we have the, the motorcycle today, the whole week working in the office, the same thing, and then on a weekend or a week that you say, I want to go a little bit. I have a friend in the USA that also cares for a museum, as you do. And we spoke about restoration and he explained to me the three basic schools of thought that he must consider during restoration. because inevitably any vehicle that's sitting for any period of time, no matter what it's made of, it's going to start to deteriorate. So one philosophy is you restore that vehicle with the original materials, but then you run into the problem of those materials are the original and they're not as advanced as today. So they're going to deteriorate as well. Then another philosophy is to restore it with modern materials, which means it's not really the original. And then a third philosophy still is to not restore it at all because that is all part of its history. Even if the vehicle deteriorates right before your eyes, that is absolutely original and that's its life path. Are those the philosophies that are applied here? And, and how do you apply them to maintain the products that you have on display here? Yeah, I think we also go this three ways. For example, if we have a bike that's still in original condition, for example, we have a sidecar unit from the 15s with original painting and everything, mm -hmm. um, we still care on this condition. Mm -hmm. Because if you restore it, you can one time restore. A restoration you can't make go back. 
mm-hmm. in front. If it's restored, it's restored. It's not longer original. Mm-hmm. So we try. And also we know and we made the same mistakes. Like everyone, it's the same in car business in 80s, 90s of, of last century. You want to make it better than you. Mm. shiny the museum shiny and this philosophy destroyed a lot of original substance mm. also the bikes that we have mm. um, because people come to the museum oh that looks nice uh, what yeah. happened you, you don't restore it we don't very careful you don't have the money for real restoration it's more expensive than to make it shiny and <laughs> <laughs> to, to look on on every detail so that's the one. But uh, mm. what you say, you have an original bike, you keep it original. Uh, and you try to have it with, um, with, with original spare parts. Mm. The second one is if you ride the bike, there are some new things that help you. For example, the old bikes lost oil yeah. because you can't do it very well in the 50s. Today you have other materials for restoration. Sure. And of course you use it or... You need um, light signals on mm. it. We have no light signals in the, until the, the 60s mm. uh, in, in Germany, but it's for safety yeah. if you go to traffic. So if we know we use this bike special for riding, we restore it a little bit on another way than, than the original. Mm. It helps. And then, of course, sometimes is the question what's original? Mm-hmm. I remember now we have all this, especially with, with the R90 and um, the R18, the scene that people built their own R90 on, on a workshop and so yeah. on. And we have the same also in the 70s. As I told you, old-fashioned 60 years BMW, they tried to make an easy rider with an uh, ape hanger handlebar and uh, a long fork and so on. And this motorcycle has 15 years the original condition and now yeah. 50 years uh, this easy rider look what's original yeah. mm. so I think if you have only a few left mm-hmm. you have to to keep it original yeah and, but people say when it starts with this coffee bike scene and oh, they name it, take an original R100 RT and they build a bopper or whatever and I said and there's no historical heritage that you have to protect because there are a lot of other 100 RT on the market in the museums around. Probably my favorite motorcycle in BMW's lineup is anything in the GS line. I love the GS. And and I, of course, expected to come to this museum and see an R80 GS, which you have. But one of the things that fascinated me was that you realize when you're standing in this museum that things like riding off-road has a heritage that goes well beyond the first R80GS. You see some of the original BMWs being ridden across country in the dirt um, with luggage mounted to them and riders, you know, pioneering going to places where there was no asphalt and no concrete. So you start to understand when you stand here that things like riding fast and things like riding off-road did not start with what we consider to be the first models. They started long, long before that with innovators creating motorcycles to do this. Yeah, um, we have this um, photo albums from private riders. We have, uh, for example, I I showed you the one that uh, two Dutch riders went from Indonesia, Hmm. Java at this time, uh, to the Netherlands. And they went days around the deserts and so on. And they don't have these maps. They don't have this uh, GPS. And so that's that's what I mean. Of course, this um, motorcycle was always special 
that people also explore the world and so on. If you want to travel around the world as a globetrotter with only with a tent on your back and a, and a few things with you, yeah. you can do it. And, and if you can do that, mm. of course, you can go in the Alps and ride a little bit uh, on the small unpaved roads. Sure. It should work. So that's, I think, the, the GF thing. One of the most striking things I saw in this museum was seeing a modern S1000RR race bike here, which we all know is the BMW's pinnacle of um, competition sport bike. But then we also see a race bike made from the 1920s and 30s. And it, there's a lot of carryover between those two machines. You know, the, a lot of the positioning of, of the body on the bike is very similar. And it's fascinating to me to think in another hundred years, there will be another bike or many bikes that have a completely different look and feel, but carry some of those same things. The wheels will always probably be in the same place. The handlebars will be and the seat will probably be in the same place, but the technology that propels you will change. And that's, that's really exciting. I think. Yeah, and I think uh, especially on the rice bikes, you look for the superlative, mm. most power, less weight, yeah. best aerodynamics and so on. I think that's also a, a line that starts from beginning on. As mm. we said, they don't have fairings, but they learned very early if I have a, this kind of handlebar, I can ride it lying uh, on the fuel tank mm -hmm. and on the long straights, I'm a little bit faster than before. Yeah. And of course, if I change that, I have three horsepowers more. And if I'm, um, I put the light away, I'm, I'm earning two kilograms or whatever. As I know, the first version of the double R, yeah. these have been the, the two headlights with the less weight. So mm. always this guys looked, there is 10 grams, there's 20 mm. grams. And I if I take this, it's a little bit better aerodynamic and mm. I push the, the engine there, there is one, two horsepower more. So that's all over the 100 years. And if we talk about racing, I think that would be perhaps the same in 100 years. Mm. It's a significant year. It's the 100 years anniversary for BMW Motorrad. And of course, you're in the best place to see machines from the past 100 years. Will you have a, any sort of a special exhibit here to commemorate this? Yeah, but we'll have one in the, um, in the museum. Hmm. My colleagues are working on it. So then, of course, we have the BMW Motor Days in Berlin. Hmm. Berlin, we presented the R32 on the fairground 100 years ago, and on the same fairground are the Motor Days. So uh. I think this year would be a fantastic year for BMW fans, not only for fans for uh, historic bikes. Mm. <laughs> I think there's party time. <laughs> Germans know how to party. That's no. been my experience. Yeah, <laughs> and no sense of humor, and um, <laughs> it's always the problem. <laughs> Um, Fred, how can people learn more about this museum and how to find you? Oh, people can, of course, come to the museum and uh, have a look to the bikes. There are some fantastic books on the market. And I think um, if you uh, go to a search engine, I don't know the exact name, I'm, I'm an old man. <laughs> but if you look BMW motorcycle history or in, in your language. Sure. Fred, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. It was really amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we very much hope you have enjoyed this episode. We want to hear from you, so please rate, comment, and share your thoughts about this podcast. We have many more episodes on the way, so please subscribe, 
Follow along and share your requests for future episodes of the BMW Motorrad Ride and Talk podcast. Podcast.